For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He hath hoped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it is our sincere desire to draw near to you today through your word. Lord, we know that you speak through your word, that you inspired holy men of old to write it down, that you preserved it for us this day so that we have your very word in front of us. Father, our, our desire is to know and to understand your word. Lord, to understand what Mary was saying and expressing in this moment of jubilation. Father, I pray that we too would be filled with that same hope and joy in Christ. Father, I pray and ask that you would help me to faithfully exposit your word, to say what you have said, Lord, and may we take it to heart today, and may it change the way that we live our lives, and I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. This chapter contains the record of the angel's announcement of Jesus' birth to Mary. And so if you go back to the beginning of the chapter and you begin reading, you read about a man named Zacharias and how that his, uh, an angel appeared to him telling him that his wife was going to have a child. And then from that it transitions to Mary. And the angel is announcing to Mary that she's going to give birth to the Messiah and then in verses 46 through 55 that we just read, we find Mary's response to this news. This is Mary's expression and exaltation. And historically, this text is known as Mary's Magnificant or the Song of Mary. The word magnificant is just a, a, a fancy word, if you will, that means to magnify. And it's brought from that first opening line of Mary when she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. Interestingly, this is one of eight ancient Christian hymns. And its words would have been sung or chanted in the church since around the 3rd century. And so as we study the Bible, we realize that singing has always been a part of God's worship plan as well as the exposition of the word. And the first hymns were not authored simply by human beings in a sense of musical terms, but they were taken right out of Scripture, and they sang verses like this. And it reminds me that we know how this all works out, right? You and I, as we come to this text of Scripture, we know how it all works out. Right? We know that Joseph gets visited by the angel and that he goes on and he marries Mary and that Mary does give birth to Jesus and then Jesus does grow up and Jesus does die on the cross for our sins and he rises again from the third day. And because of that, it is easy for us to disconnect the emotion from this text. You understand nearly every text of Scripture has a pathos in it. It has a feeling, it has an emotion. 
And when we read from Psalm 70 this morning, there was the pathos of David who is being pursued and oppressed and he is crying out for God, his deliverer, and he is expressing faith and hope that God is going to do that. In this text of Scripture, there is real emotion that is being felt. Think about it. Mary is a teenage girl. She is from an average village, a normal family. And then in her daily routine, while she is alone, an angel appears to her out of nowhere. She is frightened and she is perplexed by uh, his appearance and his greeting. If you look back in verse 29, it says that when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. And she casts in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. So just put yourself in Mary's shoes for a moment. She is an average teenage girl. She is from the northern part of Israel, which if you know anything about the history, that is not the hotbed of spirituality. Uh, as a matter of fact, when Jesus came, they said, does any good thing come out uh, of that part of the country? And so this is completely unexpected. And she has an, an angel appear to her and speaks to her certain words that, that just have her mind reeling. And though the angel speaks calming words to her, he does go on to tell her something that is going to change her life. I mean, seismically change her life. Not a little bump in the road, not a little detour, but forever change the trajectory of her life. He says to her, you are going to conceive and you are going to have a child and you are going to give birth to the Messiah. And we can see Mary's young mind is trying to process this, right? Because remember, Mary is no super saint. Mary was not born of immaculate conception. She is not a perfect being. She is a human being who was chosen by God to be the vessel that delivered the Messiah into the world. And she's a teenage girl when she gets this visit from the angel. It's not a regular occurrence. And she's trying to process this information that she's just been hit with. As a matter of fact, she, she, she responds to the angel by saying, well, how can this be saying I haven't known a man right I mean she knew enough to know how these things worked and she said this hasn't happened how is this possible this teenage girl was beginning to see the tumultuous storm forming on the horizon of her life right she knows what is going to be coming in a few short months pregnant inexplicably pregnant out of wedlock pregnant joseph is not going to believe her right joseph didn't believe her we are told when she first told him her parents are not going to believe her how could they because it's beyond human reason this doesn't happen this has never happened and it's never happened since this is a one-off and so nobody is going to believe her if she tells them this story she doesn't quite know what to do but when the angel was telling her that she was going to give birth to the Messiah, he mentioned her older cousin Elizabeth, who had been barren. And he says to her that she has miraculously conceived a child in her old age. And so like anyone who would be searching for answers, grasping for straws, if you will, Mary decides to make the 50-mile trip to go see her cousin Elizabeth. 
I mean, it's the only clue that she has to this mystery that's just been dropped into her lap. When she gets there and greets Elizabeth, before she even has time to break the news, right? Mary doesn't show up and say, guess what? She just shows up and says, hello, Elizabeth. And before she has time to break any news, Elizabeth speaks a word of confirmation from God, echoing the message of the angel. In a moment, what we see is that Mary's fears turn to praise. In a moment, her fears turn to praise. As it fully dawns on her that she has been chosen, that she has been chosen to give birth to the long-awaited Messiah. And in that moment when she realizes this, she erupts in exaltation of God. And that is what we find in verses 46 through 55. It is this moment when God confirms through Elizabeth what is happening, that she then realizes the privilege that she has been given. And she can't contain the joy, the gratitude, the appreciation. This is called Mary's Magnificat, I told you, because Mary begins by saying, My soul doth magnify the Lord. There are two main components in this paragraph. And I'd like to point those out to you this morning in the time that we have. And the two main components that you're going to see here are Mary's theology and Mary's doxology. Those two words simply mean theology is words about God, what you believe about God. Doxology are words of praise to God, right? We sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And so these are, these are the two components that I, I just want to draw out for you this morning. First is Mary's theology. These words describing God. Mary uses three titles for God in these first two verses that really open up for us and help us to see what she believed about God. You can learn a lot about what a person's theology is by listening to how they refer to God, right? Uh, if there is reverence there, if there is uh, respect, if there is honor, if there are words that, that recognize his sovereignty, his eternality, his lordship, those are indicators. And so in these verses, we find that Mary begins first with the word Lord. Look with me, if you would, at the text this morning. Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. You know, sadly, like children playing marbles with diamonds sometimes we throw around the titles of God without fully appreciating their worth and I believe the title Lord is one of those titles that gets thrown around a lot by Christians and in the church that we don't fully appreciate its worth Right? People refer to the Lord and they talk about the Lord and they say everything about the Lord and they use that term over and over and over again. And sometimes like that line from the Princess Bride, you want to say, that word you keep using, I don't think it means what you think it means. You see, there is so much weight in the word Lord. The word Lord uh, in the Greek culture, 
at the time of this Mary is speaking, it is a word that meant master. It meant owner. It meant the one who had the sovereign control over your life. Now, it's not celebrated, it's not promoted, it's not recommended, but it is the backdrop. There was slavery in the Roman Empire at the time of Mary's life. As a matter of fact, historians say that 20% of the Roman territory was occupied by slaves. 20% out of 60 million in the Roman Empire, the expanded Roman Empire, 12 million would have been slaves. In the Roman Empire, that person was owned by another person who was their Lord. And their Lord was the one who had sovereign control over their life. The Lord was the one who told them where to work and when to work. The Lord was the one who provided their housing and their food. The Lord was the one that they served and submitted to. And Mary full well knows the meaning of this word when she speaks, My soul doth magnify the Lord. She doesn't say the big man upstairs. She doesn't say the grand old father. No, she first calls him her Lord. And by the way, by the way, for Mary, that was not forced. By Mary, that was her own free will. I freely choose for him to be my Lord and my master. He is the one who had the supreme and sovereign authority over her life. What did this look like for Mary? Well, Mary knew what she was saying when she said it. She was confessing complete submission to the lordship of God in her life. If you would look back at at verse 38, after Mary gets that shocking news that she has been chosen to be the one to give birth to the Messiah, and though she is fearful and confused and doesn't know what all it is going to cost her, listen to verse 38 when Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. You see, though Mary did not choose this for herself, and Mary never imagined this scenario as a young girl who was planning her life, she accepted it because it came to her from her Lord. But then she goes on to use another word. The second word is God. You find that in verse 47, My spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. Again, again, God is one of those terms that is describing her theology, what she believes about this supreme being. God is the official title for the divine. As a matter of fact, that's how the Bible begins in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is assigning to him the, uh, the origin of all things. It is implying his self-existence, that he is eternal and has existed before this planet ever existed. It is implying his sovereignty as he is the one who is over all these things. It is implying his transcendence as he is above and beyond these things. It is implying his eminence as he is in and with these things. I'm telling you, I don't know any little three-letter word that carries more weight than this word, that is full of more meaning than this word. 
as it can be seen by what Mary attributes to him in the following verses. As we read those a moment ago, she says that he is mighty. She says that he is holy. She says that he is merciful. She says that he's eternal. He is strong. He is sovereign. He is judge. He is provider. He is helper. He is revealer. I mean, you read that text of Scripture, and she doesn't just use the word God. She knows what that word means. You know, sadly, there's a lot of times when people use the word God, but they don't use it in the way that reverences and recognizes who God is. God is the one who has supreme and sovereign rule over all things. The third word that she uses, Savior. God, my Savior. Savior refers to the divine intervention of God in the affairs of men. Right, we talk about God, and oftentimes when we talk about God, we're thinking about God in His transcendency, that He is above and beyond, and He is far from us. But when we bring in the word Savior, Savior is implying that He has intervened in the affairs of mankind. That that God who is afar off and unapproachable has approached unto us, more specifically, It is the one who delivers or rescues or saves from disaster. He is God, my Savior. That is, he came to me. He rescued me. He delivered me from certain disaster that was coming on the horizon. Furthermore, Mary makes the great theological declaration that he is God, my Savior. Oh, I tell you, there's a real misunderstanding of the deity of Christ in the world and in the church today. There are many who want to think that Jesus is somehow lower than God. Oh, he is a God or he is like God, but the Bible says that he is God. You see, only God could truly save us. No one else could do it. And so God, the Son, became God, a man. And he took on human flesh so that he could reconcile us to himself. From these three words, we get a pretty good idea of Mary's theology, which is what then fuels her doxology in the following verses. Praising God, doxology, is fueled out of our theology. If you don't know anything about God, then you're not going to know how to praise him. What are you going to praise him for if you don't know his attributes? I was talking to someone just last night. We were talking about that song, One Day at a Time, right? I grew up hearing that song. Good song, catchy song. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all that I'm asking from you. And I asked the question, well, how else does God give days? You ever got them two at a time? You ever got them three at a time? They only come one at a time. You really don't quite understand God if that's your theology that you're asking for one day at a time. Now, I understand the sentiment. You're asking God to help you get through one day at a time. But, you know, our theology is going to inform our doxology. And by the standard of a lot of praise music today, there are people who have a very shallow depth of knowledge about God. Mary has this robust theology. She knows who God is. And out of that, 
flows her doxology, her words praising God. She goes on to praise God for who he is and what he has done. I mean, she has a pretty good grasp on God's action in the world since the beginning. She begins to refer to things that he has done, people he's lifted up, people he's put it down, the mercy that he has shown, the things that he spake in the past to Abraham and to Abraham's seed forever. I'm telling you, this girl knew something about God. And it, it fueled and energized her praise. First, she praises him because he looked down. Verse 48 says, he has regarded, he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. Think about that for a moment. Mary is shocked, really. She is shocked that God looked down on her out of all the people of the world, that he looked down on her and chose her. Who is she? She's a nobody. Right? We don't know anything about Mary. We don't know what her pedigree is. We don't know who her parents are. We don't know these things. She's not introduced that way. She's this unidentified teenage girl who just comes on the scene in the New Testament as the one that was selected by God to give birth to the Messiah. And in that, in that we realize that God doesn't overlook anyone. That he actually sees into the lives of everyone. When I think about Mary's reaction, it reminds me of Gideon. Do you remember Gideon, one of the judges? And God's angel came to Gideon and said, Oh, you mighty man of valor. I'm going to use you to deliver the nation of Israel from the Midianites. And I get the impression that Gideon did one of these. Because you know what his response is? He, he said to him, oh, my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And so what Gideon is saying, he's shocked. Well, you, you're choosing me to be the guy to list? I'm from the half-tribe of Manasseh. We're not even a whole tribe. We're the half-tribe of Manasseh. And my daddy, he's not the leader in the half-tribe of Manasseh. We're like on the poor end of that thing. And me, I'm the least one in the family. And you want me? Oh, what a message God is telegraphing to you and I. That he looks down. He looks our direction. He sees you. And he does not overlook anyone. Get this, no one is too small in the eyes of the Lord. But not only does Mary say that God looked down, but Mary goes on to say that God reached down. She praises him because he showed strength with his arm. We understand the Bible says that no man has seen God. Right? Anytime that somebody sees God, you know who they see? They see Jesus. He is always the manifestation of the Father. The Bible says no one has seen God. So anytime the Bible refers to God's mouth, or to God's eyes, or to God's hand, the, God is using that to communicate to you and I His interaction at our level. 
And so Mary says that God's arm, he showed strength with his arm. What she is saying is God intervened in the affairs of mankind. He reached down into our situation and he did something about it. So not only did God look down, but God reached down to us because God is not an indifferent creator. He's not an indifferent observer. He's actually an active participant in our lives If the Bible tells you anything, it tells you that God is involved in our affairs. That he does not keep his distance, but that he is with us. The prophet Isaiah said this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear dull that it cannot hear. And so Mary out of her understanding of God, praises God because he looked down and he reached down. And when he looked down, he expressed that there's no one too small for God to use. And when he reached down, he is expressing that no one is too far in the eyes of God. You know, sadly, there are people in the world who think that they're just too far gone. Maybe they grew up in church, hearing the stories in Sunday school, being taught these lessons, seeing the lives of the saints around them. And at some point in their path, they took a different route. And they got into some things that they were not exactly proud of. They now carry with them some scars, some baggage. And sometimes they get to a point where they look back and they think, you know what, I think God used to love me. I think God would have saved me, but I've just gone too far for God. And what Mary knows, and what Mary is praising God for, is that no one is beyond the reach of God. Take heart. Take heart. Those of you who are praying for a loved one that is away from the Lord, they're not beyond his reach. His arm is not shortened that it cannot save. So lastly, Mary praises God because he lifted up. Verse 52 says that he exalted them of low degree. Yes, God looked down, God reached down, but then God lifted us up. You know, this is the best part because more than one person has looked to see another who was in need and even took action to try and save them, only to fail themselves. Tragically, there have been firefighters who have ran into a burning building to save others who were not able to do so. There have been lifeguards who dove into the waters who were not able to rescue the one that they saw and reached out for. And if Mary had stopped short we might begin to wonder, well, we know that God sees and we know that God is sympathetic and we know that God does reach in and try to do something for us, but I don't know if he can actually save me. But thank God, her theology fueled her doxology. And in her praise, she says, look, God didn't just look down and God didn't just reach down. He reached to us and he lifted us up to him. He has exalted them of low degree. And and, and that is what it looked like when Jesus was dying on the cross, by the way. Right? God came. 
He saw, he interacts with the people, he heals some here and he heals some there. But oh no, he's on the cross, he is dying. And there are people who are mocking him and saying, oh he could save others, why can't he save himself? And for a moment, it looked like he had failed. But then on the third day, Jesus rises again from the grave, proving that he had conquered death and hell and the grave, and that he had the power of eternal life, and he had the power to save us. He had the power to lift us up, to reconcile us to God. You see, what really happened with the death of Jesus was not a near catastrophe. It was showing Look, the death of Jesus Christ showed how low Jesus would go to save us and to lift us up from hell to heaven. And so no one is too low in the eyes of God. You know, there's a popular Christmas song that asks the question, Mary, did you know? Based on this text of Scripture, I say to you, Mary did know. She did know. She may not have known the answer to every question, but Mary knew. And you know what I think Mary would say to you and I if she were here today? I believe that she might quote Psalm 34, 3 that says this, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's the message of Mary, my soul does magnify the Lord. And she would want us to do the same. You say, well, you know what, my situation's not exactly like Mary's. No, but you know, there is one correlation that I can't get over. What gave Mary hope? It was Christ in her. Right, when she expresses this, Christ is in embryotic form, in her womb, Literally inside of her and yet because of what she knows about God she has a hope you know what Colossians 127 actually says Christ in you the hope of glory let me tell you something friend you can have hope this Christmas regardless of whatever other issue may be stirring in your life if you have Christ in you you might say, well, who am I? I don't know that he even knows that I'm here or that I'm worth saving or that he could reach me where I am. And I'm telling you, Mary answered every question that you had there. And Jesus extends the invitation. And he says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That he'll come in to dwell in you and that he will be with you and that he will never leave you or he will never forsake you. And you will discover that there is a hope when Christ is in you that goes well beyond the Christmas season and that it will get you through the most difficult seasons of your life. Do you know him today? Have you received the gift of Jesus Christ? There are no strings attached. It is not a gift exchange. You don't have to say, well, I didn't bring anything for him. I don't know if I can accept a gift. No, the Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the Bible says that it's all of grace. If it was any part of works, it would not be grace, but it is all of grace. It is a gift that God offers to you. And so I ask you this morning, have you received the gift of Christ? 
Have you received the gift of salvation? Would you bow with me? So we bow our heads for just a moment. We do this to give each other a little bit of privacy. We shut the whole world out with just our eyes. And it's just us and God having a conversation. God has spoken to you through his word. God is calling out to you. If you don't know him, he wants, he wants to be your savior. He wants you to be his child. But he will not force you. He will not impose upon you. He will only enter at your request. And so today, it is up to you to decide whether or not you invite Jesus in. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, it is a simple transaction of faith from your heart to his. Where you pray something like this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that my sins would send me to hell. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. And right here, right now, the best that I know how, I ask you, God, to forgive me of my sins and I ask Jesus to save me. Oh, friends, the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you called on the Lord this morning, he hears and he answers. For those of you who know Christ and have Christ in you, we need to get back to what Mary had. Not just a sound theology, but a great doxology. That we praise him. We praise him for who he is and what he's done. Oh Lord, we thank you and praise you because you did for us what we could not do for ourselves. You did for us what nobody else could do. You, Lord, transcended from heaven to earth. You manifested yourself in the incarnation as a human being. You entrusted yourself to a young mother and father. You lived a sinless life and you went on the cross to die for our sins. Oh, Father, I am so thankful. I'm so thankful for the love that you displayed on the cross and the invitation that you give to those who are far off to draw near to you. Father, I pray that today we would know the joy that Mary knew by having Christ in us. Father, I just pray that if there are those here today who came in this church not believing, I pray, Lord, that they would not leave the same. Father, I pray for those who may be resistant to your call, that you would pursue them from this place to their home and to wherever they may go, that they would have no rest, no peace of mind, no rest of soul until they call on you and surrender to you father i thank you for the gift of salvation i praise your name today in jesus name amen